Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, this is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today, I am welcoming David Emery to the show. David is the lead pastor of Harvard Avenue Christian Church since March of 2020. He is a passionate preacher compassionate pastor, adept leader, whose understanding of the gospel and vision for the church helped the congregation fulfill its mission to live and love like Jesus. David has a reputation for growing churches, reaching new people, and transforming lives in every church he has served throughout his ministry, which includes congregations in Arkansas, Texas, and Kentucky. He holds a BA from TCU and an MDiv from Vanderbilt. If you were to ask David what his favorite scripture passage is, he would say anything he's preaching on this week. An avid runner and multiple marathoner, when David isn't on the trail or in the pulpit, he enjoys spending time with his wife, Frisa, and their children and grandchildren. All right, this is Lauren Richmond. I'm host of the Future Christian Podcast. I'm here today with David Emery. David, welcome to the show. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Hey, just glad to have the opportunity to visit with you today, Lauren, and uh, excited about the conversation coming up. And we've lived in Tulsa now going on three years. I moved here in uh, March of 2020, the beginning of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was saying yes to. Yeah. Uh, what I thought I was saying yes to is different is different than what I said yes to. Yeah. And uh, so it was certainly was been an interesting, it was an interesting few months to begin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, share a little bit, if you would, kind of about your faith story, what that looked like for you coming to the faith and what that looks like today. Yeah. I grew up in a very small Christian church, Disciples of Christ in the Dallas, Fort Worth area. I'm from Fort Worth and a small church of 70, 80 people in attendance, multi-generational and very intergenerational. And, uh, uh, it was a really positive experience. Uh, my family, we went, we went every Sunday and it was when I was in high school that, uh, I had a conversation with some friends about what it meant to welcome Christ into my life mm-hmm. uh, to be born again, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had a very powerful, meaningful moment of welcoming Christ into my heart that really put my life on the trajectory that I'm on now. Hmm. And um, it was very personable and very real. I had been baptized uh, when my family joined the church. But then out of this personal uh, connection I had with Christ through this personal encounter and prayer, I was baptized again at my at my home church. Um, my pastor didn't think it was necessary, but I felt yeah. it was very necessary because it yeah. was my own, my own decision. And so it was at that point I began this journey. And... Um, when I was at church camp, I went to church camp and the Christian Church Disciples. At church camp, I heard a call to ministry, and that put me on the path that I'm on today. And I would say that, you know, I I came from a um, pretty humble background. Parents were hardworking people mm-hmm. and a very simple faith. Went to TCU, then off to Vanderbilt, and, and all that goes with having your mind open to different ways of thinking about your faith in your life. Yeah, But I think some of the same core things are still true of me. 
you know, I've always, uh, the unconditional love of God and radical hospitality have always been kind of the core of my faith from, from the very beginning. Yeah. What's and a spiritual really practice? Describes who I am as a Christian today. And I would say, Ed, one other thing, Lauren, is that yeah. uh, today I call it theological humility. Mm-hmm. But uh, as disciple, growing up in the, the Christian church disciples, this appreciation for diversity of thought and opinion has always yeah. been really, impor- really important to me. Uh, we call it at Harvard, theological humility is one of our core values. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, what's a spiritual practice that's been meaningful for you? Well, I would say probably the m- best part of my day is in the morning. Mm-hmm. And um, prayer, reading scripture, and coffee <laughs> early in the morning. I get up really early, uh, between 40 and 4.30 and 5 most mornings. Wow. And um, so I have two things that I do. I read scripture. Mm-hmm. I write in a journal. I write in a journal most every day. <laughs> and then and then I and then I exercise. Yeah. And uh so I'm a very I, I would cons- describe myself as a very act hyper person. Yeah. And so early morning I'm very focused and and Bible reading in the morning is really important to me. And then I go out and usually run, I'm a runner, I'm a marathon runner. Mm-hmm. And I run between four and five days a week. When I was wow. a little younger, I was running six days a week. Yeah. Between up to 60 miles a week. Wow. And uh, the the clarity. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of between the Bible reading and followed up with running was really, has been a really important part of my life. What's your best marathon what's time then? What's that? What's your best marathon time? 327. Three, I, I qualified for Boston wow. three times. Mm. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, and I'm so, sorry, I cut so you off. What were you gonna say? The, uh, the running, I was. What I was gonna say was that I had a pretty big transformation that took place in my life um, about 13 years ago. I was diagnosed with lymphoma, hmm. and uh, I went through six months of radiation and chemotherapy, and that was a huge thing for me. I was in my you know like 45, 46 range, 47, mm-hmm. and um, I really began to change the whole way I was looking at my life and my ministry because I really had no outside interest. Um, and I really didn't have a rich life of spiritual practice. I was mm-hmm. pastoring a growing church, a larger church than what I'm serving now mm-hmm. and was pretty unhealthy. I weighed 75 pounds more than I wear now. I was not athletic in any way. And so after I went through the, um, chemotherapy and the radiation, on the other side of it, I began to work out and began to pay more attention to my life outside of outside of my work. And that's when I began to run and dropped the weight and found out I was a pretty good runner and developed a whole community outside of the church world that just made my life a whole lot healthier and happier. And I took a look at all the people who were effectively leading organizations and institutions in their 60s and 70s, and there are many, but all of them most all the people I see as role models have been people who have been physically fit. Hmm. And uh, physically fit, uh, pay attention to their weight, to their health, exercise. That's uh, not always a guarantee of good leadership. Right. But but I think I think paying attention to our physical health is just as important as it is uh, what we do, reading scripture, prayer, is an important discipline, paying attention to our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word there. I, so, I would say, Lauren, if I was going to give advice to somebody who was who was young in ministry, is that yeah, exercise. 
you know, the, the time that you spend exercising physically, find something that you love to do and take care of yourself physically. And that will lengthen your, your, your life and, and strengthen your heart and your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good there. Appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So um, let me just kind of introduce how our paths okay. kind of crossed sure. maybe. Sure. So I'm a big fan of uh, Tony Morgan and the Unstuck Group. I don't know how I came across his podcast, um, but I've been a pretty regular listener of this podcast for at least probably two, three, four, maybe longer years. And, uh, you know, to Tony Morgan definitely comes, I think, David, this is fair from more of an evangelical tradition, but he does work with, and the Unstuck Group works with a lot of mainline churches. So one day I was listening to it and I heard this guy, uh, David Emery on the show. And I'm like, yeah. talking about how he comes from a mainline church. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what mainline tradition does he come from? And then I looked him up and he's, oh my goodness, he's Christian Church Disciples of Christ, same what I am. Uh, and I was sort of flabbergasted because, A, I think, uh, David, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I, I think m- this is a bit, a bit broad brush, but I think many mainliners would take offense, perhaps, at some of the attitudes and, and methods that uh, the Unstuck Group and Tony Morgan might prescribe. Um, I'm obviously more open to their ideas. I, in fact, had one of the reps, uh, Sean Bublitz, um, on the show f- several episodes back. So go back probably about, uh, 10, 15, maybe 20 episodes. Uh, but anyway, so I said, man, I got to talk more to this David guy. Um, and, uh, you know, in that episode, you kind of talked about your work at Harvard Avenue Christian Church. So why don't you kind of just introduce, um, how you got there and what that work's kind of looked like. Yeah, so I spent I uh, spent 17 years in my last congregation in Louisville, a uh, church larger than the church that I'm serving now. And at the end of that period, I just felt like a season was coming to an end for me, and I mm-hmm. felt like the church would benefit from having a new pastor and a new leader. And either I was going to have to be the new leader or the new pastor, hmm. or they were going to need a new leader and a new pastor. And uh, I, I got a call from Harvard. I wasn't speaking to anyone, anyone else. I got a call from Harvard. And made a decision pretty quickly that this was going to be a good place for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt like I've been pretty good at making assessment of places that want to do something that are not so stuck in the past that they they are more committed to, to tradition than yeah. than reaching and connecting with people. And uh, my love is is helping a church cast a vision, yeah, and get clarity about values and purpose and direction and establishing a strategy to to accomplish those things. And, um, and so that's when I came here, Harvard had had a pretty good run of 10 years with a strong leader, uh, strong, beloved pastor. He was, uh, came at, you know, 30, left at 40 mm-hmm. and had a really good, good, outstanding ministry with us. And so I came after he'd been gone about a year and was expecting that, you know, we were going to sort of pick up there and move forward. Yeah. Uh, but then we had the pandemic and yeah. it changed, changed the trajectory of everything we were doing. But what they asked me to do, Lauren, was they wanted me to lead the church to the next chapter. Hmm. And they just had this closed one chapter of expansion and the church had added a lot of younger families and the church had, had some good health. And so they wanted me to bring, you know, my leadership and vision for the future. And I'll be honest, I I was unsure initially when I arrived, when I, when I met with the search committee, whether or not I was going to do this, because people always say they want to do that, right. but then 
they don't really want to when right. they find out that you're going to have to make changes that are uncomfortable for people. And so I wasn't quite sure that they really wanted to be led to a new place and to a new direction. But here's the thing. The pandemic produced an incredible opportunity for for the church to make some changes and to make some shifts. Uh, you know, a good transition uh, from past leadership to new leadership mm-hmm. made the opportunity to, to, to not just go back to what we were doing before. And he gave us this wonderful window. But I will tell you, probably for the first three or four months, uh, I was trying to figure out, man, what's happening here? I, you know, did I make a mistake? Hmm. And then once I got my mind around, hey, good, you know, I mean, again, tragic, all the things that happened during the pandemic, loss, death, suffering, all that stuff, tragic. Yeah. But once I flipped my mind and thinking about, okay, how are we going to leverage this for, for what's next for Harvard? And, uh, so yeah, that's what happened. Um, and all we did for the first year during that pandemic was just, it was just about building trust and relationships and about preaching and teaching and using the, the, the best way we could communicate at that time to, to build a platform for this work to be done. And when we came out of the pandemic, uh, we, as we began to come out of it, we put together a vision team of, of four or five really key leaders to take a look at where are we right now as a church? Where do we want to go? Mm-hmm. What do we consider our strengths and assets? What are our weaknesses? Um, and then that's when um, we made the decision to work with an outside consulting group because I felt like that where we were going to need help was I don't have any trouble as a pastor coming up with ideas or vision and direction yeah. and things like that and working, helping a church craft that. My struggle has always been with strategy and implementation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and narrowing it down. And then the staffing piece and the staffing piece of working with Unstuck was probably the most valuable thing that we did with them because they help us. So, so this is where we're going as a church. Right. Now, how are we going to staff for it? Yeah. And, and honestly, Lauren, a lot of churches don't have the, yeah. the courage to take these steps because it, it takes some tough decisions. Yep. It means leaving behind things that people love for something new. Mm-hmm. It means making changes within your staff and not everyone wants to do that. And so sometimes we love what's comfortable more than we love what's in our future. Yeah. To that point, what has been or what was kind of the biggest obstacle? Not, and you can you can come at this two ways. What are some of the biggest obstacles maybe in your work there and more broadly speaking, what you've seen in revitalization type work? Well, I think I think one of the biggest obstacles here and everywhere is structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, we have these. I think in the Christian, I think in this disciples of Christ Christian Church, we have this very open theology that right. is open to a lot of different traditions and a lot of. And so, you know, sitting on a Sunday morning, you have people all around you come from a variety of political places and lifestyle places and uh, theological places. And there's this openness that is beautiful and wonderful and rich and meaningful, yet we put it in a structural coffin that doesn't allow it to breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so by that, I mean that that we're more committed to our way of doing church than we are to, than what we have to offer the world. We, yeah. We're more invested in our structures, our worship structures, our, our leadership structures, our bylaws than we are mm-hmm. who we can be. And it, it just sucks all the energy out of the life of the church when all your energy is focused on keeping a structure that no longer gives life to the organization alive. 
And so a church has got to be willing to, to, uh, to ask God, where are you leading us? Where are you taking us? What are you saying to us? Who it is that, that we're being called to reach? And then the structure has to submit to the spirit, mm-hmm. to the movement of the work of the spirit. And that, I think that's a huge, that is a huge, that is a huge, huge obstacle. Here's the other thing. And I'm going to say this about mainline. The mainline church, yeah. and, and sometimes us as disciples, um, I'm a, my concern is that we've also lost our love and appreciation for theological diversity. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm afraid that we're doing the same thing that we're seeing happening in other other parts of the life of the church that are swinging really hard to the real hard to the right mm-hmm. church swings real hard ideologically to the left. Yeah. And so we don't have a lot of passion uh, for connecting with people in the church who just have a different theological orientation. Yeah. So if you have a traditional understanding of marriage, it's pretty hard to fit sometimes in a, uh, a church that um, has uh, decided to move in a specific way as their primary focus. And, and let me say this, we are a church that is, is, does practice radical hospitality and is open to gay and lesbian people. But I think one of the reasons that the mainline churches is dying, uh, dying and shrinking is because of a lack of theological humility. And hmm. what I mean by that is an unwillingness to listen to different voices. Yeah. So we worked with the Unstug group, Lauren, and you just got to learn to translate what they're saying. Right, right. That they have the same love and passion for reaching people that, right. that most of us do and care about a lot of the same things that we do, but we get hung up in language and uh, sometimes we're, just, we're theologically snobs, snobbish, that we're will, not willing to listen to someone to understand where they're coming from and what they care about. And we can learn something from other people. And I think that one of the things that I've, that I have, that's been important to me in my ministry is I realize pretty early on that if I was going to get some some meaningful leadership training, it was meant to be outside of our denomination because mm-hmm. uh, I, and I'm not saying that we couldn't get it within it, but I was going to look at some different ways of doing church, doing church. I don't know if I answered your question. It was kind of a long stream. Yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, I think l- let's go into that a little bit because I think whether it's in, you know, I've worked in several different Christian traditions. Currently I'm working in the United Methodist tradition, um, ordained disciples of Christ, but obviously in traditions, in denominations, there can be this like this unwillingness to look beyond the tradition, the skepticism of folks outside the tradition. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, Simon Sinek, um, his book, infinite games. He talks about, uh, not seeing folks as competitors or enemies, but as worthy rivals, I think is the word he uses. And mm. I appreciate your your point about um, of, of theological humility. Like, you know, I was thinking about when you use the term about structure has to submit to the spirit. I was thinking about like, I listened to Mark Clifton uh, and Tom Rainier like all the time. Um, mm. And obviously I have to filter some things like when they yeah. use purely he language for the pastor uh, to filter yeah. some things. Um, but yeah. it's interesting, Mark Clifton will say like that the if the bylaws is the ultimate the ultimate authority in your church, like you have a problem. And I don't know if I don't know if in certainly in disciples uh context, I having worked in and have friends in, in the UCC uh United Church of Christ context, which is ultimately also very congregational polity, I don't know if they'd be willing to say like, hey, like 
structure has to take a backseat to the spirit. And I understand like that can be dangerous at times. Like we want to guard against abuse, right? Um, but yeah. Let, let me let me let me let me clarify something. Yeah. When I say structure must submit to the spirit, I don't mean there shouldn't be structure. Right. There has to be structure. There mm-hmm. has to be bylaws. Because it can't just be following the passions and the whims of a leader. Right. But what I mean is we set up structures that no longer work anymore for us. Yeah. And we are slaves to them as opposed to a structure that a al- lot that's uh that's aligned. You gotta have alignment between mm-hmm. staff, structure, vision, and direction for the church to move forward. So it's not just a freedom, a yeah. freedom to do whatever yeah, with no structure. It's it's a structure where you have organizational alignment between. So here's here's what here's the big mistake that we make. Yeah, the reason people are really suspicious of vision talk and vi- people are vision weary of this sort of talk, and the reason for that is is everybody has been in a room with people and they spent all this energy crafting core values, vision statements, and directions, and then nothing happens and nothing changes. Right. Why is that? Right. It doesn't happen because. The structure has not changed to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Resources have not been realigned. Yeah. So we're still serving the same, the thing that we were doing before. We just added something onto it, right. and it can't get accomplished. So you got to you got to simplify what you're doing and move it in that direction. And that's where resistance comes. So that's where you're. Let's say you're. You'll see the example of outreach ministries. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say your church has been supporting this particular outreach ministry. For 25 years, and the congregation has lost passion for it, and there's no energy for it. But you got the one person in the church that just is really committed to right. it, and it's their baby right. and their thing. And so at some point, you got to say, Hey, you know what? We appreciate you've done this for 25 years, but we're not, this is not where we're going anymore. And we're mm-hmm. not going to commit financial resources. Those things are really hard. But what ends up happening is you can't move forward quickly because you got a church. You got a church that worships 125 people and you got 50 decision makers. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. You know, smaller boards, smaller leaders, when you have 25, when it becomes, when it's a complete uh, democracy on everything, nothing ever gets accomplished. Mm -hmm. And there has to be uh, the, the willingness to allow a core of leaders to be able to set direction for the church. And 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 that requires just this, this high level of trust and confidence, and it takes a long time to earn it. Yeah, let's, that's that's what I mean by structure and spirit. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit because someone like yeah. Tony Morgan and the Unstuck Group they um, they advocate for smaller boards, smaller decision making yeah. groups. Obviously, in congregational polity, it can be interpreted very differently. But there's some folks, whether it's in you know in congregational type governance churches like the disciples of Christ who want to be like bigger boards, more people, more, you know, consensus type. Why do you think that's just not a good idea? It doesn't work. Cut and dry. Show me, (laughs) I mean, show me, show me a disciples congregation that's effectively and that's effectively growing and discipling people Mm -hmm. where they have a structure like that. Yeah. I mean, look at the record of our denomination. Yeah. It's in it's in a significant decline. Right. And look in the congregations. You interviewed Jeff Mitchell mm-hmm. recently, growing congregation. And I can point out, you know, several disciples congregations in the country that are growing, and all of them, I guarantee, have addressed this issue. 
But when you have this, you know, large boards, it's, it's just ineffective, inefficient. It doesn't work in the business world, and it's not going to work in the church. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's exceptions to everything, right, right. But there's a way of there's a way of there's a way of arriving at consensus with smaller with smaller boards and smaller leadership groups. Um, it's just a different way of going about it. I would say at Harvard, you know, we have a small decision making body, um, but we have a great deal of consensus about direction, and mm-hmm. that's that comes through trust. It mm-hmm. comes we have the congregational leaders are elected. We don't just make decisions. I don't just. I am a. I am a collaborative leader. Mm-hmm. And when we're making big decisions, we talk with key influencers and leaders. There's just a way I go about. There's a way about going about doing that. Right. What's yeah. your thoughts then for a pastor who sees this problem in their church and's like, yeah, we have you know twelve, fifteen. I mean. I, I don't remember Tony Morgan in his podcast jokes about seeing boards of 30, I think, of people. I mean, that doesn't shock me, frankly, having worked in the main line, you know, to imagine that there could be a board of 30 or more people. Um, but inevitably, I think one of the biggest uh, retorts is going to be, oh, well, we've got to we've gotta guard against abuse or we've got against too few decision makers. What can you? What would you say to the pastor or congregation trying to move in that direction? Well, there's and, and uh, you know certainly that's true. And there are boards. I think a board under under twelve perfect boards probably somewhere between six and nine. Mm-hmm. And and the pastor not being a member of the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you 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 got to have checks and balances put in place? We have. Uh, and I don't know that there's any less accountability with nine people. There's are with 30 people. Yeah. There's probably more accountability with nine than there are with 30. Besides the reality is you have 30 people on the board and nine people show up anyway. <laughs> right. You have nine right. decision makers. But here's, here's, I think this is the critical thing. Let's say um, a pastor, a pastor wants to make this change in the church. And, and if somebody wants to operate, the, I, I'm not going to fault anybody if that works for people. Uh, what ends up happening is it, the problem with larger boards, the church becomes very insider focused. Yeah. Yeah. And all the energy is focused on the maintaining of the organization mm-hmm. as opposed to missional work in the community. So if, if the church pastor wants to make this move, you don't start with structure. So the big mistake would be I, I hear all the time, hey, we're thinking about changing our bylaws. Well, why? We're thinking about getting a smaller board. Why? You got to ask the question why first. What's the vision? Where's the church going? What's the yeah, direction? That's good. That's good. And, and then when people get really excited about the vision and the direction of the church and what we're doing, then then they're willing to change because they can see why we're doing it. People for change for just change's sake mm-hmm. is meaningless. It just burns energy. People's lives are too busy. Right. And I'm talking about healthy churches where. There's some churches you just need to realize it's not going to happen because people are more interested in being in control than they are the mission. Right. And, that, and you just need to pick up and move on if you can't break the hold on that. If yeah. you want to do so, if you're comfortable with that, that's fine. But if a pastor really wants to lead an organizational change, it has to begin with the heart. Where is God taking us? Where is God leading us? Who? Are, what are we being called to do? What's our primary focus? What's our emphasis? Where's God leading us? And get people excited about that. Have a vision, have a sense of direction, and then everything else follows it. Because then it makes sense. Because otherwise, 
You're just organizing something else that has no reason, purpose. It all begins with why. That's a Simon Sinek, Sinek thing, yep, too. Yep, yep, What's your big why? What's your purpose? Right. You know, I'm thinking of a, uh, a young Methodist pastor I, I follow who talk about the importance of vision. And, and again, David, I don't know your thoughts on this, but I feel like in the Disciples of Christ tradition, there's this kind of reticence about pastors being vision casters in this Methodist pastor I follow, Jack Chatama, he, he emphasizes that a leader casting vision doesn't define this is how it's got to be. It creates space and energy and passion for other people's or for other people to to vision themselves. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, I, I totally, I totally, I totally agree with that. The 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 challenge and 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 there's two or three. I'm not a person who believes that. The pastor's like the guy that comes off the mountain yeah. with the tablets sure. and says, this is what we're doing. Right. That's another model. And that is not a model that I, that I value for myself as a leader. Mm-hmm. My mine is more about listening, yeah. paying attention to the opportunity, you know, and I, I am, a um, I am a, uh, vision person. I have a thousand ideas every day, Yeah, but we do that in collaboration with other people. Here's what happens. If if it's the vision that I bring, <clears throat> it's a lot harder to make it go and work and and real if it's my vision. Yeah. But if it's something that we've crafted together, it becomes because other people own it. So here at Harvard, the reason why our vision is getting traction is our staff owns it, our leaders own it, our elders own it, our people own it. And then what happens is the church begins to get some momentum and energy. It it just begins to take off, right? And you don't have to work so hard at it. But um, there, there, I don't know how a church can move forward without vision. Yeah, without a picture of what can be. Um, let me. Ask- I, I don't know how. I don't know how you move forward if you're content with having a group of forty or fifty people. Yeah, who are loving and caring for one another and doing good things in the community. That's, that's, that's a beautiful, perfect model. Mm-hmm. But if you want it, but the reality is the world we're living in right now, this world of anxiousness and fear and uh, us versus them, good versus bad, all that sort of stuff. The gospel is something completely different. Mm-hmm. And don't mm-hmm. we want to invite people into that world that shapes lives in faith? Take Jesus out, take discipleship out, just call us the United Way and put a thermometer out in front of the building. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing. Why would you yeah. want to be a part of the yeah. church? Yeah. Yeah. Just just go belong to a small group somewhere doing stuff. But what I mean to say is the church, the church needs people um need the gospel, the good news of Jesus in the world needs us in the world right now because it is something different. Yeah. Jesus was something different. Yeah. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't an Essene. He wasn't a Zealot. He wasn't a Roman. He offered a path, a different path. And I think that that's the opportunity. Don't We want to draw people into that. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be content with decline. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, let me ask you two more questions uh, one is kind of broad. One is kind of um, to your context. There, um, I got to shout out like David and Harvard Avenue have some great branding. Your website looks fabulous. Um, 
first, let me just give a shout out to the website because I'm obsessed with good church websites. Uh, David, uh, Harvard Avenue has a video homepage. And the thing that I love about that, David, is that you immediately see within five to 10 seconds, um, that video answers questions that people want to know about the church within right. five to 10 seconds. So it, it describes what the demographics look like, what people, uh, what people wear to church. I had a, a JJ Peterson on several episodes ago and he said that the number one question people want to know from a website is what to wear to your church. Uh, it answers what style of worship you have, small groups, whether kids exist. So a, a great website. Um, so talk about some of the intentional work you've done on that kind of rebranding. Again, that marketing branding thing can be a scary word for mainliners. Yeah. So that's a really good question. And let me also acknowledge one thing. Uh, we are fortunate that we have resources that other people might not have to, to, to be able to work. Sure. On. Sure. And so, so, you know, it's not a level, it's not a level playing field. And, and I've served other congregations that did not have the same level of resources. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a level playing field on terms, terms of that. But so I, I felt like that we needed, we need, it all started basically with a website. Yeah. And I said, you know, we need, we need a new website because our website's just really out of date. And, right. you know, we're going through the pandemic and how do people access what we're doing? And, and then, but you can't build a website if you don't know who you are or what you're about. Right, right. So we initially contracted with a group to build the website for us, but then we backed up and said, no, we're not there yet. Yeah, Let's not good. get ahead of ourselves. Let's get clear about our vision. Then we worked with the unstuck group first. Um, we worked with the unstuck group and, uh, uh, and then we moved on to a second. We worked with a group called Art Speak Creative, who are wonderful people. And I would say they're much more conversant with the main line than they are than perhaps the unstuck group is. Hmm. Um, they have a lot of people who served in uh, more evangelical congregations who sort of uh, who live in both of those worlds. And uh, uh, and real, they really understood who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the whole branding thing, it's not about marketing. It's about letting people know who you are. Mm-hmm. It's about knowing who your, who your community is. And so there is the way that we talk about who we are when we're with one another. Yeah. But how do we talk to people in our community? Right. So, so it's, it's like this. It's like, I, I don't need to just tell people what they need. I need, to, I need to know what are people looking for? What are their felt needs? What are their concerns? Yeah. What do they care about? What what's going on with their kids? And so part of this branding thing that we did was was to understand our community better and to put our best foot forward in the community. And why would anybody be suspicious of excellence as opposed to mediocrity? Because frankly, a lot of it is just so mediocre and bad. It's unappealing. And you've <laughs> yeah. got, I mean, it's terror, it's painful. Terrible. It's painful to look at. Look, look. The best thing that a church could do it, if they want to reach younger people in the community is put something that looks fresh and doesn't look old and dated. Yeah. And it's, and you know, for instance, I get on church websites and they still got people wearing masks right. on the front page yeah. and they still got to talk about COVID protocol. I'm not, but most churches, they just haven't updated right. their website. Right. They've still got the Easter production on there from 2019. Right. And so if you got, if you got, if, if you got younger people, 
they're going to want to, and who doesn't want to look good? So now for us, before almost before anybody steps in our building, they've been online with us first. Mm-hmm. Lady walked in her building today and said, I'd like to speak to a pastor. Usually that means their cars broke on the freeway right, and they need gas. Right. But this lady walked in and said, I want to talk to Pastor Dave or Pastor Kevin. I've been online for a few weeks with the church, and I'd just like to meet a real person before I come in, in person. Wow. Wow. That's a yeah. great story. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if I answered your question. No, that's good. Uh, that's good. Let me let me ask this then before we take a break. You know, you've kind of alluded to it. The main line is going through a significant decline. Um, I've not really been mainline long enough, 10, 15 years to really, you know, have that big, a broader picture um, besides just looking at the data. You know, what do you, what do you think, this may be too big of a question to ask, but maybe give it your best stab. Like, what do you think, what are some thoughts you need, you want to see or think need to happen? Uh, to kind of help revitalize mainline denominations and churches? You know, uh, it's a really, it's a really huge, huge topic. And obviously I'm a mainline person because I'm a disciple right. in my whole life. And uh, I think it really, I think really it comes down to the things we've been talking about, vision, purpose, and direction, and about your sphere of influence. I, our commitment in the mainline church to social justice is significant and needed and necessary. But I think we also need to make a commitment to the hearts and lives of the people that are in our communities mm-hmm. in the sense that the people that the families. Mm-hmm. So all through the pandemic, most mainline churches, to some extent, were talking about uh, race, mm-hmm. uh, sexual orientation, justice related things. But mean all important. Right. Yeah, but meanwhile, we got families at home that are having marital struggles and difficulties and hardships. And yeah. families are trying to work and do with their kids, and it's 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 kind of like I think that you got to reach people to reach our communities. That discipleship's not just about what we're doing, you know, at the at the shelter mm-hmm. or at the protest or uh, in a particular part of our community. It's about the people who are in our congregations. Ultimately, it's about discipleship. We call ourselves disciples, mm-hmm. disciples of Christ. What does it mean to make disciples? And I think it does come down to to spiritual formation. Yeah. And it's and how do you do that? Here's the reality. Doesn't matter what church we're talking. By the way, it's not just the main lines that are shrinking. Every right, church is shrinking. Right. The Southern Baptist right. lost a half million people in the last two or three years. Um the reality is people just don't want what we're offering. Yeah. They're they're very interested in Jesus. They're just not interested in what we're offering. And so we've got to and if we and if we're bored by what we have and we're only if we're bored and it's not interesting to us, it's not gonna be interesting to anyone. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I didn't really answer your question. I really I wouldn't want to prescribe something to the main line because uh I just sort of feel out of sorts really, out of place completely. <laughs> It's fair enough. You know, I don't know. I don't know where I fit. I'm not mainline. I'm not old line. Old line. I'm not liberal. I'm not conservative. Yeah. I'm not left. I'm not right. I'm none of those things. I'm just want to. I just want to live and love like Jesus and get other people to do it. I want to take all the boundaries down because mm-hmm. because um, mainliners and mainliners and conservatives they all put these boundaries around. Yeah. 
I just want to take it all down and just point people toward Jesus hmm. who shows us how to live and love, love in the world. And I think the world would be a lot better if we just did, did, lived in that way. So yeah. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. Let me ask this, David, uh, in response to what you said, one of the things that I felt and was part of uh, really core part of my ethos in a previous ministry context was just this, just this, just this thought that, and I think, you know, others might disagree with me, but this is my thought is that before I'm going to get, you know, that those families, like you mentioned, to really see, the, you know, the racial injustice, the LGBT exclusion, you know, all these, these serious social justice issues is, I felt like, and again, others might disagree with me, but I felt like that I needed to see them and see them struggling with their kids, see them struggling to pay their mortgage, see them struggling in their marriage. And I think something that breaks my heart is I just feel like, broadly speaking, mainline Protestantism has kind of given up on like white suburbia. And I don't know, like, I feel strongly emotional even about that right now because I just think like there are so many. And again, I don't want to say that like the the focus of church should be white people or white suburbia. Um, like I believe church is for all people um, and the gospel. But I, I don't know. That's just been something that's really been on my heart the last few years. I could, I could not agree with you. I couldn't agree with you any more than that. Um, um, <clears throat> the gospel is truly for everybody. And uh um, this is one of the criticisms that I have of us, of the, what I call the, you know, just the, the lack of humility within our traditions, hmm. mainline traditions. Are you familiar with live church TV? Yeah. Yeah. So they've got, they've got campuses. Yeah. Campus down the street of, from me in Colorado. Campuses everywhere. They probably got two or 300,000 people right. a weekend in attendance. And people will look at that and they'll sort of dismiss it because they don't. They don't. Yep. But you know what? I'll tell you something. I would, I will tell you something. I guarantee it that those churches are making the two to 300,000. They care about the community. They care about poverty. They care about the things we're talking about. And they're making a huge impact in the communities with regard to poverty, hunger, all those kinds of things, cleaning up schools, doing cleanup days, doing service. They're all in on all that stuff. But because we don't agree with them theologically, we want to dismiss them. Hmm. And what are they doing? They're reaching people. Yeah. You know, we, we, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and I I just think that we've got to hold on to the divinity of Jesus along with the humanity of Jesus, and it's just kind of like we've given up on the idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, called to bring salvation and love to the world, and that place in my heart, faith, and trust in Him is life-changing and transforming. Yeah, That is something I've never lost. Uh, I don't really know how to describe myself because I'm not this or that. Yeah. I care about the issues that you're talking about, racial justice, inclusion, LGBTQ community. But I also believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, the Christ that came to save me from my life and from myself. Hmm. Don't believe that to the exclusion of others. Yeah. But, but without that, we're just a group of people gathering around a good teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a, that's can be a good thing, but I'm not, you know, we got families that are concerned about meaning and purpose, right. and right, yeah. You were, were I, I agree with you completely. You can tell I'm a little bit passionate about. Yeah. That. Well, we should probably leave it there. Um, yeah. For those, go back to my last or 
for those passionate about this conversation, check out my episode with Jeff Mitchell. He he made the phrase um, that um, Christology shapes ecclesiology. So go back and listen to that episode for our listeners. Here, let's take a quick break and come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with uh, we're back with David Emery. David, appreciate the conversation. Um, I always give these closing questions. You can take them as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you're Pope for a day, what do you want to do with that day? I'm Pope for a day. Yeah, what do you want to do with that day? That's a great question. Okay, we'll come back to that. Come back. Come to back that to that. I, I don't. A theologian or historical Christian figure you want to meet or bring back to life? John Wesley. John Wesley. Okay. Yeah, my Methodist listeners more like that. I'm I'm doing a sermon series uh, coming up this next month. Uh, uh, we're doing a small group series and sermon series called The Grace Effect, and we're looking at five people in history uh-huh. and the impact that grace had on their life. And L- Wesley is one of that we're we're looking at as a church and his story. And I'm telling his story, and we're talking about grace and the role of transformation. So. It'd be an interesting conversation for me. That's good. I love that. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? The um, us versus them mentality yeah. and the inability the inability to solve common problems, the lack of human decency and and respect. Um, superintendent of Tulsa Public Schools is a member of our church mm-hmm. and uh, just resigned from her position yesterday. Wow. And she serves one of the largest school districts in the country. Yeah. And the the political division and mean spiritedness that takes has taken place around a lot of these things, to me, has been disheartening and heartbreaking. And and it's just a microcosm of the whole world. And she's an amazing, amazing leader and amazing person. Hmm. Wow. Um, hopes for the future of Christianity that we will that we will embrace humility and radical hospitality and move away from the structures that make it difficult for us to love people. It's, it's, it's relational. It's all relational. It's about loving people. Yeah. Um, Embodying the teaching of Jesus to love and serve. Where can people connect with you, David? Um, Through our website, through our website, uh, www.hacctulsa.org. And my email is david at hacctulsa.org. All right. Well, thanks so much, David, for your time and the conversation. Always leave folks with a word of peace. May God's peace be with you. Peace with you also. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.